Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Austin Dalgo is a pediatric palliative care physician at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center and Methodist Labonner Healthcare System in Memphis, Tennessee. He received his medical degree from the University of Alabama School of Medicine in Birmingham, Alabama. He completed his MedPeds residency and Hospice and Palliative Medicine Fellowship at UTHSC in Memphis. He also completed his master's in bioethics and health policy from Loyola University in Chicago. Dr. Dalgo is the director for the Center for Bioethics and Health Equity at Labonner Children's Hospital, program director for the Hospice and Palliative Medicine Fellowship at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, and co-medical director of the Stress and Wellness Clinic of Memphis. He enjoys spending time with his family and riding his bike. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, Okay, so let's dig in a little bit to your role. Um, I read off a lot of different things, and so um, even as someone that has known you a while, uh, some of it is new to me. I did not know about the Stress and Wellness Clinic. Um, So talk a little bit more about your roles at Labonner Children's Hospital. Yeah, so thanks for having me, Brittany. This is really fun. Um, I've been at Labonner for about six years now and uh, did residency here for five years, so really a total of 11 years. And I've been a palliative care attending for the last six. I um, was under the tutelage of Dr. Melody Cunningham, who you know well yeah. and who is a, really a mentor of mine. And so I've been doing that for six. I've also been doing the ethics program at Labonner for about the last three years now. Mary Armour, who was the previous CEO of Labonner, really helped champion that. And I really uh, took that on and I was very proud to be a part of that. I also serve as a just a general pediatrician at the hospital. One of the things I love so much is working with the residents and working with the students, helping to teach. So I do that as well. And then finally, the Stress and Wellness Clinic is actually a free clinic in South Memphis that's a partnership between Rhodes College and University of Memphis and UTHSC and a lot of places. Uh, and is faith-based, uh, but also partners with uh, community folks from all around the, all around the city. So uh, so we have a free clinic Monday nights and we see refugees, we see undocumented folks, we see uninsured people from that community. And it, it really is a very, um, it's a privilege of mine wow. to work there. I did not have any idea. And so that's located in South Memphis. Yeah, in the Oak Haven community, okay. which is just south of the airport. So it's kind of in between the Mississippi line and the airport. Okay. And I've just been really thankful to work there. We we see kids, we see adults, and we actually do a, a radio show once a month too, oh, wow. talking about health and well-being. Okay. So. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so are, is it just other doctors from within the community that are a part of that? Do y'all take turns? Are y'all all there? How do you do that? Right. So I'm there every Monday night with Dr. Ost, who's another MedPeds physician. Okay. We also have the College of Pharmacy. We have medical students. We have residents in our global health track 
come and work there. And then sometimes we have volunteer physicians as well. We're we're actually trying to work on that now. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So good to know. Um, okay. And then tell me a little bit more about, um, I definitely wanted to talk about the palliative medicine aspect and also the bioethics, but let's talk a little bit about palliative care. I think palliative care um, can have often a negative connotation. And even to distinguish between the adult world of palliative care, uh, you were actually the first person I called when we got my diagnosis with my mother. And I felt very strongly that she needed to have palliative care and calling you and even hearing you say, it's very different, you yeah. know, as far as what you know with pediatric versus adult. And I definitely saw that firsthand. But I think there can be almost sometimes when mental health gets a, a bad negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Part of me wants to debunk that today with mm -hmm. you of what is palliative care? What role does that take? Um, so talk a little bit about that, about the palliative care aspect, and then we'll talk about the bioethics aspect. Yeah. Um, so I think you're so right about that, that palliative care does get a bad rap. Mm -hmm. And a lot of teams around the country have taken to renaming themselves and not calling themselves palliative care teams, but quality of life team mm -hmm. or threads of care team or other kinds of names just to help debunk some of that. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's really important just for us to talk about it uh, straightforwardly mm -hmm. and to be honest about what palliative care is. And to be totally honest about what palliative care is, is that it's there to make your child's life better. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. that's what I tell people when I walk in the room and see them and meet them for the first time is I'm here because your child matters as a whole, not just the heart, not just the lungs or whatever else is going on. What matters is the whole experience that they have of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so palliative care to me focuses on the whole person. Mm -hmm. It's holistic. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's social. It thinks about all those aspects of what a person is. Mm -hmm. And um, and the other thing is that palliative care and hospice are actually two different things too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a hospice and palliative medicine doctor. Mm -hmm. And so when you smash them together into one person, then you oftentimes mix the concepts up too. And so palliative medicine really is just for people with serious illnesses. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it, you're not at the end of life. You just have something that you need to walk through and it's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for hospice, that really is a definition by Medicaid, honestly, that says that you have six months or less likely to live. Mm -hmm. And in actually, it's not even that, to be totally honest. In children, what we say is, would you be surprised if this person happened to die in the next year? And if the answer to that question is no, I wouldn't be surprised, then they qualify for hospice. And really what that what, what I tell people about that— you're asking who that question? Yeah, the I'm, parents I'm or asking the myself and okay. the doctors that question. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. And so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask a parent that. Okay, okay. Um, but I, I would ask myself that question. Okay, okay. And I would say, you know— is, is this a service I, I want to provide them that mm -hmm. the, I think they'll benefit from? Mm -hmm. And obviously hospice is never something that we ever force on anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but we do talk about it because hospice is able to provide resources like spiritual support and mm -hmm. social support mm -hmm. and medical support in the home mm -hmm. that really saves kids a lot of grief of having to go to the hospital and yeah. having to pack up in the car and all these kinds of things. 
But guess what? Palliative care offers the same resources. Mm -hmm. Basically, the only difference between the two in terms of the home resources is who gets paid and how. So all that stuff happens behind the curtain, mm-hmm. and we don't really worry about it. But palliative care, what I tell families is we're not here to talk about the grim. Mm-hmm. We're here to talk about the positives. We're mm-hmm. here to affirm life and celebrate life together and figure out how to do it based on this context that we're in right now. Yeah. And so that's that's how I describe it is really affirming life, figuring out how to make life a little bit better because this is a tough situation. Yeah. And I just from my own, um, I mean, our, our story different, but because when Forrest was there, palliative care really wasn't there um, at Le Bonner, And so that wasn't really an option. I definitely I've told many families in parent mentoring, I wish that it was just to help guide me Mm -hmm. those two months of, you know, even some of those questions I had is, you know, are we doing what we need to do? Is this the right thing? Is this the wrong thing? But even guiding me of what it would look like as, you know, he really did transition and, Mm -hmm. and some of the things to be aware of or, um, that kind of stuff. But, but post meeting with families through the years, you know, I will often say it to families, especially those that we call our frequent flyers, Mm -hmm. chronic or, you know, something to where they're going to continuously have to come back into the hospital at different times. Um, And I have one story in particular. They actually are going to be on. um, They've been on the podcast and. I remember saying it and they told me they felt like I was telling them the Grim Reaper was coming, Mm. that I had just told them their daughter was going to die. And, you know, and eventually I was able to say, that is not what I'm saying. And she is alive and doing well and doing great to this day. She Mm. was a chronic case, frequent flyer, in and out of the hospital a lot, had multiple procedures, surgeries, all of that. But she is a thriving um, 11, 12 year old doing great when they finally said, okay, yes, we need more help and we need somebody who can really see the big picture because I do feel like, and no, you know, obviously I've, I've got one of those specialized surgeons. It's very important to me in my life and I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying they can get focused on what is their specialty, right? Heart, lung, brain, bone, joints, whatever it is. And I think one of the things that you and your team do so well is seeing the big picture Mm. that, okay, yes, the heart is our our primary, you know, concern of what's going on, but he doesn't want to get out of the bed anymore. He wants to just sit there or he's not exercising or he's lost the, the joy to go and play or do things or because the heart, you know, he's putting on some weight or he's doing this or whatever. And I feel like y'all see the big picture of going, okay, yeah, we got to fix the heart. But if the kid as a whole is not doing well, that's a problem. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's mm-hmm. speak about that. Let's come up with a plan. And I feel like y'all do such a good job of being able to hear out mm-hmm. the family's dreams, desires, joys, fears. Yeah. The what ifs, and I feel like y'all really are able to listen to them, and then put that into of how do we, how do we walk forward? Yeah. What does this look like? And sometimes, it is that it is end of life, mm-hmm. but I've seen y'all make end of life beautiful, 
even that it's the hardest moments in the world, but y'all have made it where it's it's easier because maybe they didn't. They they got to have their child home with them. Yeah. They got to have all the things around them. They, you know, they got to to allow their child to pass not in the hospital or maybe it was in the hospital and it was certain ways, but that's the beauty of y'all too is hearing what they and the child wants. Some right. that's home, some that's in the hospital, some that's whatever it is. Exactly. The way I see it is accompaniment. Mm-hmm. We're on this journey with you. Mm-hmm. We're not here to guide you or to lead you unless you ask us to. Mm-hmm. We're here to accompany you on this because we know that they're suffering. Mm-hmm. And we know that people need to be held up sometimes. They need some advice. Maybe they need just a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they just need a warm presence in the room with them. Mm -hmm. And I see our job as accompanying fellow sufferers in the journey. And our job's not over till you tell us it's over. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't even end if a child passes. Mm It, we keep following and we keep talking with folks because I had a 90-minute conversation with a mom the other day who was just struggling mm-hmm. with her daughter's passing mm-hmm. and was asking what could have happened differently. Mm-hmm. And so we talked through that. And I think to me that's that's journeying with her in whatever way she sees fit. Yeah. And we ask families when we talk to them, you know, what are you worried about? What are you hoping for? And those are two really, I think, important questions to get at the heart mm-hmm. of what makes a good day a good day mm-hmm. for your child. And if you're worried about certain things, it's hard to get past that. And so we have to talk about it and address it. But if you're not ready to talk about it, we don't force it either. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I even say to folks who are very faith-oriented, what are you praying for today? Because that really helps them say, you know what, I'm not going to have anxiety about this, but I'm going to pray about it. Mm -hmm. And that helps us to really engage where they are spiritually and what they're where they are on their journey. Mm -hmm. And so it's absolutely right that it's hard to be in the hospital sometimes. I think there are a lot of specialists that do think about the whole person. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, David is one of those people. He doesn't just think about bones. He thinks about the person. Mm -hmm. But I think that... um, you know, sometimes I do characterize my job as herding cats <laughs> because it's it's hard to get everybody together. Yeah, yeah. And doctors might be saying the same thing to parents, but they hear it differently. Yeah, yeah. And it gets confusing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I call myself an interpreter sometimes, mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. where I am just helping people understand all of the extra stuff. I was on the phone today with a Rhodes professor who was like, I got a CAT scan today. <laughs> Can you help me read this? Mm-hmm. And this is this is somebody with a PhD. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to navigate this. Yeah. And pe- everybody need needs help. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so walk through that. So a family typically will either someone will express to them that that maybe this is someone that they need to because the family really has to act in essence, ask for it. Correct. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to just walk in and be like, I'm here. It has to be that you're asked to be a part of the medical team. Correct. Right. So it's a, it's from beginning to end, it's a conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time when you consult cardiology or pulmonology or whoever else that that's, 
it often doesn't start with a conversation. But because sometimes palliative care is hard Mm -hmm. for families, usually the team, whoever it is that's taking care of uh, the child or the family member, um, says, you know, we would like to involve these specialists, mm-hmm. the palliative care specialists. And they're not scary. They're not going to force any conversation. Yeah. And and would you be willing to have them come be a part of this? Mm-hmm. And I would say 95% of the time families say, yes, I've been yeah. needing that for a long time. Yeah. And so then we get to come in and we usually sit down with families for 30 minutes to an hour or longer. Yeah at the beginning. And it's really a get to know you time. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what makes a good day. Tell me what brings you strength. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're worried about. What do you understand? What have you heard from the doctors? Mm-hmm. Those are all things that we ask in the beginning just to understand where people are starting from. Mm-hmm. And again, it's about sitting down and we don't always share a cup of tea, but mm-hmm. we just sit down with people and and share time. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I mean, debunking is that it is not just for families whose children are actively dying. Right. That is not what this is. This is really, like you said, walking the journey with them, you know, maybe complex case or maybe it's going to be a little while or maybe other things. But but your medical team has seen a reason, mm-hmm. you know, that it'd be nice to have palliative care involved. And and I've seen, I mean, on, on being a parent mentor and meeting with families, I mean, I have consulted y'all numerous times and been like, I need you to see this family. I, I'm trying to help them see the big picture or see, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And y'all are so good at coming in and being able to explain. But like you said, listen. Y'all listen so much to mm. whatever it is that they're feeling or desiring. Even I think looking at things at home that are impacting this. Why yeah. you know, how are parents impacted? Are there siblings? You know, maybe the grandparents have a different view than they do on what should be done. All those things play into you know, the stress level of what's going on, which we know can then also affect the patient. So I just think y'all, you know, I I can't say enough about how much I think palliative care is a gift to the hospitals, you know, that it serves. Yeah. Well, just to prove the point even further, we consult routinely on every heart transplant patient. And so the point of a heart transplant is not end of life. The point of a heart transplant is to get the heart better, Mm -hmm. to actually offer a new heart. And so we consult on those patients, every single one of them, because we know it's a journey. Mm-hmm. And we know that it's tough. And getting all the medicines and having to come to the hospital so many times wears on families mm-hmm. and wears on children. Mm-hmm. And so we want to ask the question, how do we make your life better? Mm-hmm. And it might just mean that we go out to the house and we check your lab levels at the house rather than having to come and wait. for the lab to do it in the clinic. Mm. And so then you're going from playing to checking your labs for 10 or 15 minutes and then playing again, Mm. and you're still at home. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes people's lives better. That's not something you can calculate Mm -hmm. in a study, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's a human impact and it really helps people um, in, in terms of their quality of life and just living their life. That's what I want. I want us to... you know, get busy living Mm -hmm. 
and not get busy dying, you know, and that's uh, that's what's so important to me. So do you have a hospital team, a, ho- mm-hmm. a team that's in the hospital kind of day after day, and then do you have a community team? Right. Okay. Yes. So, so explain I, that. So I have, I have two amazing colleagues, Amanda Lenz, who's the chair of our department, okay. and Rachel Calhoun, who's another physician with me. And we spend probably 90% of our time in the hospital. Okay. And we have, um, you know, more than 10% of the hospital census most of the time is on our list. Mm. That's how many complex patients are at Le Bonheur. Mm-hmm. But, um, and we also have Minna Watkins, who's a social worker. Mm-hmm. And we also have um, Stephanie, who's a chaplain. Mm-hmm. And so we have a full team at the hospital. We also have an outpatient team, and we actually share it with St. Jude as well. And we have probably 60 or 70 patients in, oh. in their homes. And, um, and we have a team of a number of nurses, a number of social workers, and a chaplain who also go into the homes and take care of families there. Dr. Calhoun is the medical director for our, um, our hospice and palliative outpatient program. Mm-hmm. We call it Koala Kids, which mm-hmm. is quality of life for all kids. And it really is an amazing, amazing group of people. Just, it's such a privilege to know all of these amazing people in palliative care because they understand how important it is to treat people in a way that is compassionate, Mm -hmm. you know, and to meet people's needs where they are and not just say, well, here's my task. I'm going to, I'm going to mark that off the list, but really take the time and understand where children are and families are and care for them right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really beautiful. And so it's a pretty easy transition, too. If a family leaves the hospital to then go home, you know, get busy living, Yep, it can be an easy transition from your team because y'all are all communicating and a part of things. And so it can continue on with what some of the things that they were receiving at the hospital may be the things they still need to receive at home or but an easy transition. Exactly. Our phone is constantly blowing up with calls Mm -hmm. from patients and families. They have our direct number. We have a cell phone and it's easy to reach us, a doctor, anytime you don't get the call service Mm -hmm. or you don't get any of that. And then you can also reach the nurses. There's there's nurses on call 24-7. And so it's just a really easy transition. And that's what we see. Healthcare is fractured and Mm -hmm. fragmented oftentimes and families wait to get called back. And so we really want to be a beacon (laughs) to some degree in healthcare saying, you know, this can be better. We can do better. We can really provide holistic care for our families. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think we do that. I think we do that really well. And I think our families would attest to that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about the the ethics side of things, that you're also the director for the Center for Bioethics and Health Equity. So tell us a little bit about that. So people also think of ethics in kind of a negative mm-hmm. way. I guess I'm just attracted yeah, to these right, to these are. worlds. So a lot of times people think about ethics, they think about the police, right? They think about somebody coming in, slapping them on the wrist and telling them that they're not doing the right thing. That is also the opposite of the truth. Ethics um, at Le Bonheur and at Methodist is really about helping clarify difficult issues. You know, when patients and families are facing hard situations or hard decisions, there's oftentimes disagreement. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Humans sometimes mm-hmm. conflict. 
And so what I do as an ethicist is I come in and I try to help clarify what the actual issues are because emotions sometimes run high. I then sit down and speak with the doctors, speak with the family, and I try to be as neutral of a party as I can. I tell them, I say, I'm employed by this hospital, but if they fire me, that's okay, because <laughs> I want to do what's right by you and what's right uh, by the patient. And so I, ju I just sit there and listen to stories and try to develop consensus in whatever way I can, try to get everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. If we can't get on the same page, that's okay. We can deal with that. Sometimes that might mean going to a different place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that might mean instituting a policy um, or questioning a policy mm -hmm. that exists. And, and um, I help navigate those situations. And so I've really gotten to see it grow, um, honestly, from not e existing as an ethics committee before 2019 uh, when the center was started, to now really being a robust educational um, effort. Uh, we do a lot of teaching. Um, it's a consultation service. So when I started in 2019, we had about 15 or 20 consults across the whole system. And last year we had almost 100. Mm -hmm. And so we've really grown in that way. And then we also just look at policies. You know, so any big institution has policies. And they have way, and that shapes the way people are treated. And so when people bring stuff to me about, I don't know that this policy makes sense, mm -hmm. I help them navigate that and navigate change or, or whatever else it might entail in terms of the whole healthcare policy. Mm -hmm. So, consult again, when you say consult, that can come from a variety of places, right? Yeah. Families. I've actually done an ethics home consult before. Okay. So there was a patient at home, and she, they had a hard time with mobility. Mm -hmm. So I went into the home and had a conversation with the family. It oftentimes comes from nurses mm -hmm. um, because nurses are distressed about a situation. Mm -hmm. Our nurses at Le Bonheur usually spend 12 hours a day at the bedside. Mm -hmm. And so they are deeply feeling a conflict, or they're deeply feeling... Uh, torn, feeling moral distress about something. Mm -hmm. And so I get calls a lot from the nursing staff and the nursing leadership saying, please help us with this situation. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, anybody from environmental services to parents to doctors to the CEO can ask for an ethics consult. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And how many are on that team of yours? So we have an ethics committee at okay. Le Bonheur, which is a big committee of 20 or 30 people. Okay. And then there's three people who are trained in ethics at Le Bonheur. I do most of the ethics consults, to be totally honest. And then there's a cardiologist, Anthony Merlacco, who's finishing up his master's in Oxford, England uh, in bioethics, and he helps with some. Uh, another uh, UT professor, Javi Morheim, also helps as well. And then uh, Makiba Garrison is a bioethics chaplain, okay. and she also works with me um, in in the ethics consults. And so, um, and so you ad are you adults too? When yeah, you say Methodist? yes. So I I go okay. to the adult hospitals as well. We had two ethics consults this morning wow. at okay. Germantown and University, and so so I help I help out on the adult side as well because there there's an, a chaplain who is healthcare who's certified in bioethics. 
uh, as I am, uh, over in the adult hospital as well. So we kind of work together okay. with those ethics committees there. So when you said 100 consults, that's corporate-wide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so really could be any of the hospitals. Right. That are Methodist. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And so, so Labonner accounts for about a third of that okay. number. Okay. And and one of the things that I think is unique about our ethics consult service is that we don't just focus on the particular issues of each situation. We definitely do that and pour a lot of time and energy into that. But we also ask the question, what is the pattern of our ethics consults, and what are the reasons why people are asking for it? Mm -hmm. And I think that that drives systemic change as well. And one of the big ones that I ask all the time is, what are the ethics questions that our patients are asking in Memphis? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes those questions that the patients are asking are very different than the questions that the doctors are asking. And they really oftentimes ask questions about resources. And I know for Spence is all about providing resources mm-hmm. for people in need. And and so I help, I, I really try to bring to the forefront, why is it that there are health disparities in Memphis? Why is it that we don't have certain resources in Memphis for our patients, whether that's inpatient rehab or a long-term mm-hmm. care facility or other things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we help with those resources and how can ethics kind of point to those patterns that we're seeing mm-hmm. of distress mm-hmm. and say, I see this and bring that to our leadership and really talk through those issues, not to not to try to be a burr in their sandal, mm-hmm. but really to say this is a recurring pattern right. and this is a need that we should address. Yeah, yeah. I, I've definitely heard the inpatient rehab quite a bit from mm-hmm. families um, yeah. being something that they wish that, that we definitely had. So I'm sure that has gotten brought up to you. Mm-hmm. What drew you to these roles? I mean, you obviously went to school. I mean, you went to med school, mm-hmm. had to make a decision in med school, you know, where you wanted to, you know, interview for residency and what, what your field was. Tell me about that. What drew you, because you said you went to med school or you went to residency for med peds, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. And then continued your fellowship then. So during MedPeds, that mm-hmm. was, what, four years? Four years, years yeah. So during that time, you decided, okay, I'm really drawn to the palliative hospice side of things. Um, so tell mm-hmm. me about that. What drew you to these roles? Because I'll be honest, I mean, that that is not, you don't see a lot of people right. that are drawn to this. I'm so thankful you are. We need people like you who can honestly walk into the hard, hard situations you do it very graciously. You do it very non-judgmental. You do it very loving. But I know you see a lot of really, really hard things day in and day out. Um, my children have an ongoing joke with me. I really enjoy movies that end happily. I enjoy some Hallmark movies. Mm-hmm. They all end the exact same way. I, I, You know, if they kiss before the end, I'm like, what happened? I don't understand why they did. <laughs> and my kids are always like, mom, I don't understand. I'm like, I see and hear and read and interact with so many mm-hmm. hard stories mm-hmm. of families and their needs and how much they're struggling that I need some just, when I leave work and I go, I need some easy. I need right. some you know, I've found different ways to kind of unwind and do whatever. But one of those is I, I don't I don't want to watch movies or read books that are hard and difficult and drama induced. So but what drew you in the first place to mm. this field? 
Yeah, so I'll start out negative and then end positive. Okay. Because uh, okay. that's how you like your movies. <laughs> that's right. I want it to end with just a little, little bit yeah. at the end happy. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's happy. Exactly. So, so part of it was that I wanted to, I wanted to do primary care when I started medical school, and I wanted to be the kind of doctor that got involved with the community, and I wanted to, I wanted to address park safety as part of my primary care because you can't get good exercise if you don't trust the park that you live next to. And I wanted to address people in that holistic way. And then as I went through residency, I really felt like the primary care experience, at least that I had, didn't feel like it was addressing those big things. It felt like we were going through a lot of patients, doing a lot of important things, but not getting to the root of what the problem was. Mm-hmm. And and so I started to think to myself, what do I need to do to get to the root of these problems that people are facing? How do I address them as a whole person? And and so really palliative care came to mind in that. And I saw how Dr. Cunningham was working and I saw how she was walking with patients and crying with them and addressing their needs outpatient and thinking about you know, their light bill or thinking about how they could get the help that they needed to get a job, Mm -hmm. because those are important things. If you can't have the lights on, it's really hard to think about your health. Mm -hmm. And so that to me was a model that I really admired and was actually looking for the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so I made a shift and I said, you know, I'm going to do this palliative care fellowship and then go out and be a good doctor. I'm going to go be a good doctor either in the hospital or in the clinic setting, but I'm not going to do palliative care. That's not going to be my life call. And so then I went through, and um, as I was talking uh, to people about my future job, um, the folks at La Bonne really offered me kind of my dream job mm-hmm. where I could do ethics and I could do palliative care And I could even pursue this free clinic that I work at where I get to do holistic care in a, in a free way, uh, for people. And so, so really it was this, it was this confluence of opportunities at Le Bonner that was offered to me. But I think ultimately it's still that idea of an accompaniment, walking with people in their journeys, um, you know, Honestly, for me, as a as a faith oriented person, I see how Jesus walked with people in their suffering. It wasn't just a shoot a lightning bolt down and um, and and heal people. Mm-hmm. It was a touching and a walking with. And I think that that compassion and suffering with people is what I feel called to do. Mm-hmm. And so, leaning into those things uh, for me feels. Um, like I'm fulfilling a calling of mine. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's hard. Um, But it's also, there's there's not really that much hard in life that's also good. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just thankful that I get to do something on a day-to-day basis where I find a lot of meaning Mm -hmm. and a lot of um, meeting people where they are. It's beautiful. It definitely is. What would you want a caregiver to know about your job and how you could help them? I would just want them to know what we talked about a minute ago, which is that I'm here as a palliative care doctor 
to make your life better, to know what your values are, and to make sure that your medical care for your child or for yourself is lined up with what your values are. That I'm here essentially to help you in whatever way I can. One of my favorite um, families, uh, and I don't have favorites, but somebody who's special to me, they call me Uncle Doctor. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is that I told them initially, when you when you have palliative care involved in your life, what you can think about us as is like, imagine you had a doctor or a nurse or some medical professional in your family, and you called them with the questions like, hey, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, hey, can you help me out with this? That's what I want our patients and our families to see is that we're happy to be that surrogate family member mm-hmm. for you in the medical world. Mm-hmm. And that we have the cell phone numbers of all those specialists who are sometimes hard to track down. And we can help coordinate your care. We can help make sense of this. And we can't answer the life's hard life's hard questions, but we can certainly support you as you ask those questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'll say truly, I mean, from personally, I mean, I, you know, had walked the road of seeing you know, my child, uh, but even with my mother, I mean, I really did be like, who can I call? Who can I call? I'm going to call Austin. Mm-hmm. You know, just, I just need somebody to say, okay, yeah, I think this is probably, you're probably pursuing the right, or, you know, you could wait a little bit or whatever, even though they are very different adults um, in pediatric, but you definitely are, are like that. You have that draw of where people do feel like they can reach out to you and ask and, and not, like I said, not be judged, not be, you know, because cause not everybody's um, vision or dreams for the future or faith or, you know, life decisions matches up. And that's okay. Right. I mean, it doesn't mean that mine is right and yours is wrong or mine is wrong and yours is right. Um, you know, each of us is doing the very best we can for our child and for our family. And that looks different from you know, everybody else's. And that's more than anything I have probably learned in all the years of doing this is that there is no, this is right. And this is wrong that they are doing the best they can for their child. Maybe they have numerous other children. Maybe, you know, they live far away. Maybe finances is such a struggle. Maybe they're having some marital things going. There's so many aspects that you don't know that are playing into this. Mm. And so, you know, I think, you accompanying them, like you mm-hmm. say, of understanding what those are and how those are affecting every aspect and then what can be done to, you know, David talked about it on his podcast that you and we cannot take away the sickness. Mm-hmm. We can't take away that the child has been hurt or had an injury or has a sickness or whatever it may be. Um, we cannot take that away because if we could, man, we'd do it. But hopefully by joining with them, we can make it just a little bit easier. That exactly. They don't feel quite so alone, that they feel like somebody's got their back. They've got somebody in their corner. They've got somebody that's supporting them, um, walking with them. And there's nothing like that when you're looking at your sick child. It is so lonely. And mm. so to have someone like y'all who says, you're not alone. Whatever this looks like, you're not alone. I can be your person. I can be who you call. I can be, I mean, I've, I've known families who have called y'all to say, okay, this is what the child 
looks like. I mean, I've, I've known families who have FaceTimed y'all to mm-hmm. say, is this breathing normal? Should we, should we stay home with this? Should we come in? How fast do we get, should we call the ambulance to come get the child? Should we drive them in? And y'all have helped in that regard of like, yeah, yes, let's go get them in, you know, or no, I think they're okay right now. Let's, let's wait a little bit, whatever. Yep. And I think that's, there's just nothing quite like that. Yeah. I, I find it a privilege, first of all, to be called by you, uh, for your mom. And I, I, I just consider that an incredible honor. Um, I've also had your husband operate on my child. So <laughs> that's also, uh, the, the favors returned. Um, but I would, I, I'll say that, you know, it's, it's, I can't imagine what families go through. And if I can just be a person who tells them you are making loving decisions for your child, because mm-hmm. I know that that's true, because I know you mm-hmm. and I know your child, and I can tell you and give you evidence for why I think this is a loving decision, that I think goes a long way in people's lives, especially mm-hmm. in those crisis moments where they're questioning everything. Mm-hmm. And so we say that we say that to families so much because, honestly, moms. Uh, it's the day after Mother's Day, at least right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and moms need to hear that. Mm-hmm. And dads need to hear that, too. But um, we talk with probably 80% of moms. And there's a lot of questions people have. Mm-hmm. And if we can say, we know how much you love your child, we see that with our eyes, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that you think we should know before we kind of sign off? I think the main thing is palliative care is not scary. Mm-hmm. Ethics is not scary. We're here not we're here to address you as a person. We're here to think about your hard situation. And we're also here to help try to change the culture, not just of m- medicine that's too big but also of memphis Mm -hmm. and to ask the question where are the resources being poured in how can we change that make it more fair but also just how can we walk with you in this journey Mm -hmm. so i think that's what i would leave you with that's amazing well thank you for everything that you and your team do um, for memphis and the greater kind of mid-south area and just the way that you are i think moving the needle to be in a way where it's just all encompassing. I mean, just to how much I've seen growth in family-centered care from, you know, 2007 to today is pretty mind-boggling of just how it is so important that the whole family is taken care of in order to be the best they can be for their child and what does that look like. And so I know you're a huge part of that. And um, thank you for what you do and your team does. Um, We're so thankful to have y'all. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.